It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is T Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a certified reconnective healing practitioner, sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you cannot continue to listen online, please call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via phone, or please use your Bluetooth if you are driving about. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. With Audible.com, you can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want, and you can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energy awareness. So go ahead and do that. Write that down so you can go and check everything out after the show. So listeners, are you seeking to become the person you were born to be? You know, I think pretty much we all are. The funny part is, We already are what we're meant to be. We just have to see it. And our life is a journey, one of self-discovery. Through awareness and by simply being human, we live experiences that provide us the opportunity to develop our faith in who we are and what we do. My guest is Mark Nepo, who has moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. Beloved as a poet, teacher, and storyteller, Mark has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time, a consummate storyteller, and an eloquent spiritual teacher. And his work is widely accessible, and it's used by many, many people. His books have been translated into more than 20 languages. He is a best-selling author. He has published 15 books and recorded nine audio projects. He is a cancer survivor, and as such, Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. He leads spiritual retreats and works with healing and medical communities. And Mark is participating in Oprah Winfrey's 2014 The Life You Want weekend tour. He has appeared four times on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and he's been interviewed by Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. And right now he's here at Energy Awareness Radio again, joining us for the third time. So I want to welcome you back to the show, Mark. Thank you so much for taking time to join us yet again. How are you I'm I'm doing well, thank you, and it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I just I I cannot even tell you this book is not just helpful and informative. The words are so poetic, which is not a surprise because you are a poet. But each word, I don't know, it just evokes such feeling. I was moved by the power of each phrase and the full truth of the words that were written on the pages. You know, I found it to be enlightening and thought-provoking but at the same time it was knowing or or already known but being reiterated in a very emotional and moving way i i read it and i thought we know this we just don't remember that we know this and i think it's great because people can be reminded and go back to that place of knowing which is within i, I just loved your book i can't i can't even well, express it enough you. it was <laughs> well thank you it was so fabulous. much I mean, you know I mean, we're all, including me, we're all on the same journey. And, and one of the, the humble and amazing things about being human is that we we are born complete. You know, we're born with everything we need. And then 
you know, then we take our first step and then we, we get into the world. And part of our journey is by the friction of life, you know, we grow, but we also, we fall down and we forget that we're whole and complete. And then we feel like we're worthless and then we get wounded. And so, so much of our journey, we think, you know, we think we got to get somewhere else when we really, we really are humbly returned to where we've always been. If we can just, and that's why we need each other. You know, it was, you can go all the way back to Plato. You know, Plato said, we are born whole, W-H-O-L-E, mm-hmm. but we need each other to be complete. And and all the different traditions speak about this in different ways. In the Jewish tradition, God is talked about as an indwelling presence, which I really like, as an indwelling presence that only shows itself through relationship. So mm-hmm. a way to a way to really understand that is, Look at a simple match, like a match that you strike to, to light something with. Well, mm-hmm. the fire, the fire's in the match, but it doesn't. The light doesn't show itself until it rubs up against something, and that's so much like us. You know, we have the light within us, but I don't know what I know until you ask me, or until I'm in need and I ask you, and then you all of a sudden your wisdom comes out. And somehow I think life is designed, yeah, you know, it feels like whatever you believe is larger than us has designed mm-hmm. life to be just hard enough that we need each other. And I think that's so that it ensures the journey of love. I love that you put it that way. That was a great analogy with the, with the match because I mean, it's, it's, it's prophetic or profound because we do light and shine when we are with others and can, and help. It's a team thing. It's not a one thing. And so many times that statement is overused, but it truly is. If you interact with other people, relationships with other people are important. It's also have a good relationship with yourself and know what you are able to bring to the table. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is the thing, you know, that, by, and I think this is natural, you know, in, in, when I was younger, I think it's part of our first half of our journey of life is to figure out who we are, find out what our gifts are, you know, what is it that, that I have arrived with that's particular, you know. So I think when I was young, like anybody, you know, I, I tried to discover, well, what's my unique gift? How, do, how am I different from everybody? What can I, um, you know, how, how am I unique and then you know it's different different things happen to different people for me it was in my mid i'm 63 it was in my mid 30s that i you know came down with cancer almost died and uh and it doesn't have to be you know disease it could be anything really but sooner or later something comes along and makes us realize that we're part of everything and ever since then and I really don't look for what sets me apart. I look, I look for what I have in common with other life. And and strangely and beautifully, when I find that and I feel that, I know, I know what my gift is. I know what it is that that I can bring to things. And it's a humbling journey. 
Yes. But and it's important to to know that you are contributing in a certain way. I I recently taught a gratitude class to a bunch of thirteen to seventeen year olds, and oh wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and you're thinking they're doing texting and everything, and I don't do texting. I don't know how. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, okay, they're not paying attention, but they truly loved the class. They said that this was the greatest workshop because I ex- they said she treated us like we were an adult, and you know, I treat people the way I treat. I don't care if you're two years older or two. 200 years old, I'm not going to treat you differently because in each instance to me, we're the teacher and the student and everybody has something to contribute. And, you know, people have oftentimes said, well, you know, you know, look at Oprah. She just does wonderful things. Yes, she does. And she's contributed an awful lot, but each one of us has a gift. Everybody can't be Oprah. Everybody can't be the Dalai Lama. Everybody can't be the author. Everyone, when you look at what your gift is and realize that without your gift, the picture wouldn't be complete, then you can really, I think, live your life knowing that you bring a big piece to the table, even if it's not out there on the global arena. Oh, that's absolutely true. And, and you know, and I think in, and and let me say because you, you know you you bring that up and and having uh, being on this tour with Oprah, you know I just just continue to respect and love her more and more. I mean because she stands up there and that's why she's doing this whole thing. It's just what you said is to 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 praise people and show people and encourage people that they each have their own particular gift and, and their own way. And, and it's, and it's just amazing. You know, you, you may remember in the book, uh, um, it makes me think of that passage where the two Chinese sages that are friends walk along with each other. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, one is older. And in fact, one, one is Yun Yen is his name, and he's the older. He's a master. And then Tung Shan is a young, younger person who he becomes friends as he becomes, as he learns, and he becomes his own own teacher in his own right. But anyway, the two of them, after knowing each other for years, we know this from the younger teachers' journals that this is in like the 800s in China, and they're walking along one day quietly, and out of all of a sudden, the younger the younger one looks at his master and he, he just loves him, you know, and he feels it and he looks at him and he stops him and he says, when you die, what do you want me to say about you to other people? And mm-hmm. his master looks at him and he thinks and he's quiet. And then he says, I want you to say that I was just this person. And his student is kind of confused, and the master sees this, and he says to him, you must be very careful because you're carrying a very great matter. And he says nothing else about it. And years later, when his master dies, his, his student and friend, in his grief, he, he goes to a, he's standing by a river, and he sees his own reflection, and then he sees under his reflection his master's reflection. And then under mm-hmm. that, he sees the reflection of everyone who ever lived. And then he says, he writes, if you ever hope to know the truth, you must never stray from your true self. And what I love about that story that's from 800 in China is that this master teacher, when he says, what do you want, to, what do you want me to say about you when you're gone? 
And he doesn't say, he says, don't say I was a great master and don't say I was insignificant. Say that I was what I was born to be, just me. Say just Mm -hmm. this particular person. And it's through being exactly who we are supposed to be, not somebody else. This is why in our when we're afraid that we're unworthy, this gives rise to jealousy and envy. When mm-hmm. the truth is we can only be us and that's more than enough. I love mm-hmm. that story, that ancient story. That is a great story. The other one that's similar to it that I absolutely loved was um, uh, Walt Whitman and uh, and Emerson. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, that just hit me because, you know, there's such a fine line between being steadfast and being stubborn. And you can be told a number of times, you you know, by someone, you're doing the wrong thing, you need to do this, I'm more experienced, I've been through it, you need to do this. But if in what you believe in your heart you stick to it's not stubbornness it's stubbornness when ego gets in the way and you think well i'll show them i'll you know i'll prove them wrong that's i think ego and stubbornness but the steadfastness came through and that story of the two of them i had i didn't know that story by the way i did not know they knew each other so i was fascinated yeah Yeah. let me tell it briefly for our listeners and and this is a great, and we, and and I love how you bring this up because there's a fine, there is a fine line between being steadfast, that is standing on your foundation, knowing who you are, regardless of whether people understand or not, and how quickly that can, like in a blink, that can be stubborn. And what does stubborn mean? Stubborn means that no matter what information I get, no matter how I see that things are changing, I refuse to let let that information in and stick to what is no longer true. So that's, and all of us, everybody alive can slip in an instant. I've done it all, you know, mm-hmm. from, from being steadfast, standing by what is true to, oops, all of a sudden things have changed. And I know in my heart it's not true, but I'm sticking yep. to it anyway. <laughs> and we do know. <laughs> we do know. And so the, the, the thing is that the wonderful thing about being human is as quickly as we can slip, we can, when we realize it, we can go back to being steadfast and follow what is true. So let me tell this story quickly. So, yeah. so you know, Walt, Walt Whitman, um, you know, in the 1800s, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson was famous from from the time he was, you know, he was a teenager almost. And and um, Walt Whitman was not known, and they didn't know each other. And Emerson, who's wonderful, by the way, to read. You know, if anybody's listening who hasn't read anything by him, he had some tremendous essays on nature and friendship and spirit. Mm. But but anyway, he said, look, we have been a country for 100 years, and we are, uh, we're free, but in terms of our imagination and our art, we're still a colony of England. Where, where's the American artist? Where's the American poet? And he describes this free, imaginative person well, Emerson's essay gets published. It's put out all over the country in the 1840s. And, uh, and Walt Whitman, all by himself, he reads this thing, and he says with beautiful innocence, he goes, hey, that's me. I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> and he sends a letter. He sends his poems, and he sends a letter to Emerson saying, 
hey, you know, you're describing me. I feel like I've been found. And Emerson reads his poems and goes, my God, he's right. So they, he, he writes to him and they become friends. And Whitman's first edition of Leaves of Grass is published. And now, a few years later, as Whitman expands and wants to now publish, make public for the first time, his poems about his being gay and homosexual, Emerson, they, they, and we know this from, from Whitman's journal diary called Specimen Days, and he writes that Emerson, they went for a long walk in what was now the Boston Commons for a whole afternoon and for hours, Emerson tried to convince Whitman not to make those poems public. And Emerson writes, and Whitman writes in his diary, and I listened to Emerson for hours and I didn't say a word. And when he was finished, I knew more than ever in my heart that I was right. And, you know, that's it, it, the, the, the following to that was that the, you had said this is a profound example of quiet integrity. That is beautifully put because it is. You know, when you really know you're doing what your heart is telling you to do, you know it's right, you feel it's right, and nothing can go wrong from that. And one of the things, one of the things too, is that the truth uh, doesn't need to be explained to be true. Mm-hmm. It's our it's our heart that understandably, you know, we want to belong, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and that's very natural and human. But sometimes we give away our integrity and our truth for the sake of being heard and belonging. And mm-hmm. the real truth, the hard truth is, and you know, I know all this because I've violated it all the time my whole life. That's how you learn. You know, right. um, so, I, so I've given myself away lots of times in my life. But, you know, what I've come to understand is that the real truth is if what kind of relationship is it, if it's a, whether it's partner, family, friend, work, what kind of relationship is it if all of you is not welcome? If all right. of who I am is not welcome, then why am I giving something up in order, leaving something out the door in order to belong? Because then I'm not really being welcomed anyway. And that's a hard one for us, all of us, to to accept and see. Mm. You know, oh, if I, just, if I just do this, they'll accept me. If I just do this, or if I don't laugh so loud, maybe maybe they'll want me around more. And that's all backwards. That's all backwards. You know, we we don't need to, when we can be true. We don't need to shout that it's the truth. When we can feel peaceful in our heart, we don't need to talk about God all the time. We can right. just be in the presence of everything. And, and be in the presence of everything with that that faith. And you do speak about faith as being trust in the way the universe provides rather than a belief system that I think we all, you know, were taught, we were all taught some type of a belief system. And if we have faith, which I think is also inherent in us, but it gets lost along the way, <laughs> you know, because of those belief systems that come up and push that knowingness aside, 
to give us that by pushing that aside, it gives us a whole lot of room for doubt. And the doubt is usually because we're doubting because of the fear of doom. And well, yeah, and and I think that you know, so this, let's talk for a minute about the difference between these kinds of faith and belief. So, you know, we all we all are taught a certain system of beliefs, and it doesn't mean that all system of beliefs are you know don't work or aren't good. But we, part of our journey as a human being, is to discover firsthand for ourselves what we believe in, and then to see what. What part of the belief systems we've been taught are worth upholding that speak mm-hmm. to us? So we, we, you know, we, we are taught, it's just natural, from our parents and our community, a set of beliefs. And then as we find out who we are, it's our charge, it's part of our practice to figure out, okay, what, what do I know about life directly that I didn't inherit? And from that knowledge, we find true community. And then we can say, oh, this does coincide with what I was taught. But over here, no, it doesn't. I don't really believe that. And it's fine for us to figure out our own set of beliefs. But even more to the point, which you, which you, I'm glad you brought up, is faith for me is not belief in a set of ideas. It's Mm -hmm. trust in our first-hand experience of everything larger than us. You know, if you believe that there's anything larger than than just you, then I would say you're a mystic. And as soon as we start to, to name what's larger than us, then everybody goes to their theological corners. Oh, no, it's Jesus, it's Moses, it's Allah. It's everything. It's nothing. It's physics. It's, it's there is no God. There is a God. It's nature. You know, everybody runs. But I, as I've gotten older, like I don't, I'm not really interested in what we call it. I'm interested in what's our relationship to everything larger than us, because clearly it's not just us. So. Mm-hmm. So much of life has to do with our relationship as a living part in a breathing universe. I I love, you know, and I think I I can't remember, but I think in this book, if not in this book, in another book, I I quote the, the Protestant theologian Paul Tillich, and I love his definition of faith. He calls faith an act ultimate concern. I love that. That's it. When you bring all of your care to the moment at hand, that's an act of faith. So faith is is holding nothing back when we don't know what it means, when we can't name what's going on, but we trust in the stream of life that we have been tossed into. And I love love that. And and, and, uh, let me add one other thing to this in this part of our conversation. So so let me couple with that a wonderful uh, notion that about the definition of hope that I love that comes from Vaclav Havel. Now, Vaclav Havel was the first president of the Czech Republic after Soviet rule in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the late 70s, early 80s. 
and he's now he passed away a few years ago. And he was a poet and a playwright, so he was a poet president. <laughs> and uh, but he defined hope. He said hope is different from optimism. He said hope is not the belief that things will turn out well, but the faith that things will have meaning no matter how they turn out. That's that's a great definition because it's hard to define the difference between hope and and faith. People say, well, I, I have hope. And I'm like, well, that's really not faith. There's a difference, you know, because to me sometimes if you hope, there's a there's a seed of doubt there. You're just hoping, but you're not sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, often we all do this because we're human, you know, in any tradition, you know, we often, when do we pray? We pray when we're in trouble, you know, right. we, we, we pray to something or someone or some force or the universe, get me out of this. I don't know how I got in this, but get me out of this. Mm-hmm. But, the, but, but all the traditions speak about the real essence of prayer is not asking for something, but listening. That mm-hmm. and great love and great suffering have broken us open, and now we're ready to listen to the universe, to listen to the mystery, to listen to the divine that's in everything. And then what we receive regardless of what we ask for, will help us live. Right, because we're being given the gifts that we need for our unique journey. Yeah, yeah. And faith, faith to me is also surrender. It's when you just say, okay, I, I have to have, because you have no recourse, you have to have the faith in whatever. And so you have to surrender to it and say, I just know it's going to work out the way that it should. And you know what? Every 100% of the time it does. And people don't believe well, that either. They'll say. <laughs> yeah, and so surrender is not, uh, you know, a lot of times we think surrender is passive, and it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, sur- surrender is different from resignation. And, right. And, you know, this is where the, the Taoist tradition and the Tao in you know, which is an Eastern, uh, the Tao means literally just the way. And rather than try to right. name everything that's larger than us, Lao Tzu, who wrote the, the the book of the Tao, of the way, he just called it the way rather than name it. It's just, it's just, and the image that's often used, it's like imagine that just like a fish is in a river and it tries to catch the current and let the current take it rather than swim so hard, that to life, we can't, you know, it's invisible. Like if you imagine, we're all fish in this invisible stream of spirit that's the universe. And the proper use of will is to listen and be present to the stream of life that's around us so that we can catch the current and not have to swim so hard. (laughs) Right. Because I think when you surrender, you're allowing, but when you are giving up or resigning, you're working that. You're really working at that to just say, you know, okay, I give up, I'm done. And that takes effort, whereas surrendering is just you're at peace and you're allowing things to flow. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. And there's a relationship, an ongoing relationship between effort and grace. Because there's nothing wrong with effort. I believe in effort. But this is Mm -hmm. what we're talking here. So let's talk on the flip side of despair or, you know, working at resigning or giving up. And the, the other side of that is, you know, we all are taught that we should have a dream, we should work toward a goal, we should have an ambition. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But what I have discovered, at least in my life, is that it's, I've, I've run into difficulty when I've held on to those dreams too tightly. When mm-hmm. I think that the dream is, you know, it's where, oh, this is what I'm dreaming and this is what I want, I, I think I want or I believe I want and I want to work, you know, the wonderful thing. And then when it doesn't exactly go the way I think, because I've held on to it so tightly, I think I've failed. When mm-hmm. I've, come to, I've come to understand the dreams are like kindling that you throw on a fire, the fire of our aliveness. So they're what we, we put all of our effort so that things that we can't imagine will start to show themselves beyond what we dream. So, you know, often our dreams won't come true, but in working toward them, we may come true. And that's more important. So let me, yeah. let me tell a little a story. This is, from, mm-hmm. uh, this is from my book of stories, As Far As the Heart Can See. And, and, and this is about dreaming and working and and being open to what is brought to us. So this is a very short story. It's about a bicyclist who's training for a race. And he's worked really hard. He's worked a month, really gotten his time down. He's got the best, lightest bike. He's got the great, you know, he's got really skin tight equipment so that it's least resistant. And the day of the race comes and he's, he's, you know, riding along and he's actually like way ahead and and it's out in the country and as they go down through through over a hill down in the slope of a valley he's actually far enough ahead of all the racers that for a few seconds he's by himself he can't even see the other racers and just as he comes to the bottom of the hill a great blue heron with its wings fully spread swoops over his handlebars and it just stops him. And it feels like the heron opened something he was chasing. And he stopped. He straddles his bike and the other racers are catching up and he's just stunned. He, he somehow can't, can't start pedaling again. And now mm-hmm. we go we go ahead years, and the scene changes. And once in a while, someone will ask him, "What cost you the race?" Hmm. And once in a while, he'll say, "I didn't the race; I left it." Oh, yeah. Now that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So now. So why I want to tell this in terms of what we were just talking about is, you know, mm-hmm. someone might say, well, that's a really nice story and everything, but he did lose the race. He worked hard and he lost and he didn't win. Well, I hold it differently. You mm-hmm. know, I, 
I think he trained to meet the heron and yeah. not to win the race. And if you would have told him that he was training to meet a heron, he wouldn't have trained. And, and he wouldn't so have believed much, <laughs> Right. And so much of our dreams are like that. We see a dream that's within reach, and it looks, it's a good dream, there's nothing wrong with it, but working toward it often reveals the herrings in our life that will open us to a deeper way of living that we couldn't have even imagined would come Mm -hmm. on the scene. That is a beautiful story. Yeah, I mean, it just really, it says an awful lot. because we don't know what's coming down the road and we do train for certain things. And then all of a sudden there's a detour or something comes up and you're not so many times people think they failed at something and it's no, there was something that gave you something bigger than you thought. So you didn't fail at what you set out to do. You just changed and made a decision to do something different or, you know, something, an opportunity came up an offering that was meant to be yours. Now, he could have just gotten on his bike and kept going, but he didn't because he accepted the offering. So therefore he did leave the race. And actually that's also a good example uh, of the cyclist in our story of someone who remained steadfast and didn't yeah. turn stubborn. Right. Because he was, something came along that he didn't expect that changed him, that touched him in his core. It just wasn't a pretty bird. And to keep going would have been stubborn to go as if nothing had changed that really mattered. But he knew in his heart that something was different. And so he couldn't, he needed to stay close to what was true, even though what was true had changed. And that's being steadfast. And that's being true to yourself and following what you're meant to do. And it's interesting that the story is a heron, and it's probably on purpose because the heron is a symbol of new beginnings. And I know I live on a lake, and there are herons who live here. And every time the heron lands on my property, I stop what I'm doing and watch it for a very long time. I love herons. I love love herons. I do, too. They're so pterodactyl-like. I just love them. And they're just so graceful in their beauty and form. And that's being in the moment. You know, that's really when you can stop and do that and say, you know what, this will wait. I I just need to watch this heron for a little bit because this. You can almost feel it's giving you a message. I know that probably sounds crazy to some people, but I feel that way every time the heron, you know, lands on my shore. I, I just look and think, wow, that heron is just here to tell me something and I just have to take in the beauty of it. And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so like, you know, this also like staying in the moment to what is true, this also applies in relationship, you know. So, So much just, you know, in our relationships, and we all do this. I, I do it. You know, we all do this. Is we we think <clears throat> we know what we're going to hear when someone goes to speak, and then we prepare ourselves. We're, we already have an answer or a follow-up story, or we already are like rehearsing what we're going to say. And of course, as soon as we do that, we've stopped listening. Right. And, <laughs> And as soon as we do that, we have stopped the the chance for us to be touched by the t- 
totally live person who's in front of us. So the 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 real work of of being present, and nobody can do this all the time, but again, we right. can return to it. Uh, this is what staying awake is, is we do fall asleep, but then we can wake up again, is that, you know, like, uh, well, my wife and I, we've been together for 20 years, and I know her so well that I can finish her sentences. Sure. But yep. loving her, loving her means I don't. Loving her means that every day I remember that she's a live, growing, changing being, and she may not think the same way she did yesterday, today. So loving her means I go, what do you think today? What did mm. you speak today? Who are you now, even though I know you so well? And so that's where we're, we're all asked, and this is part of the endless practice, you know, we're right. all asked to, to slow down and wait before we come out with our planned response, before we say, oh, I know what he or she is going to say. I've heard this story a hundred times. Well, maybe then we need to ask a question that opens the story more deeply. Maybe we need to... I think... is probably one of the luckiest women on the planet, but I'm gathering she knows that. And you are probably one of the luckiest men because you wouldn't have the relationship you do if you weren't both giving and taking in such a great way. So kudos. I am very, very blessed. And, uh, and, you know, all relationships are, all true relationships are real and messy and beautiful and hard Mm -hmm. work. Yeah. And it, you know, and it, it means I think this is part of, you know, I, I believe one of the challenges of our age is staying in relationship. And I don't mean staying in abusive relationships or violent relationships. Right. Or relationship, you know, I mean staying in relationship to ourselves, to each other, to the source of life, to everything around us beauty, to suffering, because, you know, it's so easy to to tune out. And it doesn't mean we don't get exhausted or that we get to a place where our heart is so full, we need to pause. That's just turning the attention and saying, okay, I need to absorb this now. But so often in in our modern culture, you know, we live in the disposable society, and we do that with relationships. We go, yes. okay, this is too real, this is too hard, I'm out of here. Whether it's a love relationship or a friendship, or, you know. And this is where, you know, we can easily fall into a pattern of um, not growing, but repeating the essential pattern of a relationship over and over until it gets to a point where the same point that we don't want to look at and then we go, we take off and because it's always easier to fall in love than to stay in love. Sure. Mm-hmm. But the whole you know, point of it is to grow in love. 
to grow in love. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point. I mean, you fall in love and then, you know, you have to grow with it and not allow it to consume you to the point where, you know, it has to be a certain way. Everybody grows at a different rate. I had a gentleman ask me a few weeks ago after a meeting, we were talking about uh, the gratitude class I was going to teach. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Who's the most important person in the world right now? And I looked at him and I said, well, that would be you. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm speaking with you and I need to be giving you 100% of my attention. And he said, you're absolutely right. And I said, yeah, it's whoever that, you're with in the moment. Yeah, that's great. That's great because it is, I think, so much um, is about, well, this gets back to where, you know, earlier we were talking about, um, I, I was offering about, when I was young, trying to see how I was unique, and then when, as I've gotten older, really looking for what we have in common. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, you know, really, what I hear under what you what you just offered in that story is that every every single person is important. No, nobody's more important than another. Every single person is important, and our job in in honoring what Ever life is before us, we help the universe stay healthy. And that's right. What I mean by that, let's look at look at it with a meta with a biological analogy. So we we all know that you know two things about the bloodstream. I mean, one is that there can't be a healthy bloodstream if there aren't healthy cells, blood cells. Right. So you know, every time we work to stay healthy and authentic and integrity um, and with compassion and an open heart, we are cleansing the bloodstream of humanity. And the other thing about, about the bloodstream and the blood through the body is that the blood circulates through the body. No one organ owns the blood, and if it tried to, the body would die. And so the the love and the care and the aliveness that moves through us and between us, no one owns it. It needs to move through us. And, you know, it needs to keep it. And this is why it's so important. I believe that we are all born naturally kind, naturally kind because, um, because life, by design, has to flow through us to each other and back again. You know, one of the things, and this is, this is amazing, okay, as we talk about this, there's two things that come up. And, you know, <clears throat> one is that uh, you've heard the term Indian giver probably, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yes. that, that is so misappropriated uh, in our culture and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, we know it in the Western white world that an Indian giver is someone who gives a gift and then takes it back. Mm-hmm. And this totally, it says more about our, under, our limited understanding because we in the Western white world think of giving as an, a barter, an exchange. I give, you receive, and then you feel obligated, you give back, and I receive. 
Whereas mm-hmm. the Native American way of life understands it more like that flow of blood between the organs. So in the Native American culture, someone gives something dear to them, especially, let's say, to help somebody heal. And then it's believed that that person, as they are healed, they have added spiritual power to what was given. And they may give it then again to somebody else or they will give it back to the person who gave it to them with more healing power. And so someone who gave a gift in that culture, once someone is healed, may go with great respect and ask for it back because it will be even more powerfully healing now that you have added your heart and soul to it. And now I can heal from it even more. And pass it along to others as well. That's quite a different understanding. Sure is. <laughs> Indian giver. So we don't even, and, and so the other thing was about kindness is that the Chinese philosopher Mencius, who was about 200 years after Confucius, he had the most beautiful image from nature to explain how we are naturally kind. He said that, look at how water allowed its own nature will always flow downhill and join other water. Mm-hmm. Now, we can mm-hmm. manipulate it. We can build a dam. We can build a, 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 a little courseway. We can make pipes. We can manipulate water to go uphill, around corners, to do everything. But allowed its own nature, it will always flow downhill and join other water. And then he said, human beings are naturally kind like that. Allowed our own nature, we will always flow to each and join with each other. And either others or ourselves, we can manipulate ourselves through fear or uh, harshness or cruelty or manipulation or control or doubt. We can manipulate our care to go away from each other. But our nature, like water, is to flow down and join each other. And, yes, I believe that we do come in knowing that. And and you speak to this, I I believe it was in the chapter on the unity of life, the relationship to life and how to navigate that stream of life fully as a whole so that you're not, you do have to flow like the water to the larger, to the whole. You know, everything ends up in the ocean. That's the whole. And it might yeah. start as a drop of rain, but eventually it gets to the ocean. And we need to flow together so that the whole – people think that, well, if I just do this over here, it's not going to affect anybody else. And every single thing that we do does in, in big ways, but no one really sees the ramifications of their actions down the road and they, or they don't look. And in you know, when, when you did that meditation in that chapter, I'm pretty sure this is where it was, that there's a meditation where you sit and you slowly allow yourself to, your heart, to feel what might be going on at the same exact moment where you are everywhere else on earth. Yes. Yes. That because is a everything... great meditation. Well, and again, you know, it, it, and it's not to... You know, all the things we're talking about are all very human. We all yeah. we all fall in and out of these awarenesses. 
No one can live. I don't believe in a permanent enlightened state. I believe no. that being human, we, you know, I mean, medieval monks, when asked how they practice their faith, said by falling down and getting up, which I love. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, I can, you know, forget this and I can, you know, not realize everything that's happening around me. But then I can stop and I can open my heart and I can feel that even as we're talking, all the amazing difficult, beautiful things that are happening in life around the world right this instant as we're talking. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and we're not like here by ourselves. A, we're not here by ourselves. It's a web of life. And, and let me talk for a minute about, um, because this kind of awareness is at the heart of resilience. You know, one of the, when I can feel what is mine to feel, whether it be joy or pain, whatever it might be, to the depth of my own being, then at the bottom of my personality, I touch in to the well of all humanity. So let me give you a very, I was just talking to a friend about this, you know, my touching example. My father passed away in the last year and I you know I write about that in the book and uh, yes. he was ninety three and he had a slow avalanche to his death and took almost a year and and there was a moment when I was with him near the end of his life. And he was in a hospital bed and we were alone and he was very frail and I was I wound up feeding him, you know, and I was feeding him applesauce very gently for and I was very, very conscious of having the spoon really meet his lips so it wouldn't disturb him in any way. And, you know, and I began to cry, you know, softly. And, and, and as I felt that, and as I lifted the spoon from his mouth, I felt the moment when every son or daughter ever fed a dying parent mm-hmm. that ever lived. In feeling mm-hmm. what was my life to feel, I felt that common moment, and I was I was alone with my father, and I wasn't alone, and I felt uplifted by the well of humanity, and feeling that common moment with everyone who ever lived. So it's taught me that the resilience waits not in being tough or being strong you know resolve is one kind of of character trait but what I'm talking about is feeling our humanity and whatever life gives us not where we drown in it but we feel what is ours to feel we face it and we own it and when I can do that however briefly I touch in to the well of all humanity and that meaning of what I feel and what others have felt, that's where resilience reveals itself. And that those those moments are so precious and few. And you know what, Ma, I cannot believe this, but every time you're here, <laughs> the hour just flies by. And I need to thank you so much <laughs> for joining us this evening because it's been a fabulous show. 
But before you go, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and where they may purchase your book? Sure, sure. Thank you so much. It's been a great hour. And, um, you know, I have my website. It's just marknepo.com, and we have a sister website, threeintentions.com, all spelled out, one word. And all of my books are available through those websites or on Amazon or in bookstores, really anywhere. Um, and also my where I'm speaking and teaching, my, you know, schedule um, through this year and next year um, is, is all up. I will be um, next week in Seattle uh, as part of uh, Oprah's tour, the weekend tour goes to Seattle. So I'll be there next weekend. Um, That's great. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just been great to uh, be with you again here. I appreciate it very, very much. I know how, how busy you are and the time that you have, and I just am so grateful that you're you're able to join us. As I said, the hour flies, and, and it's been a wonderful hour indeed. So on behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. So go ahead and get out your calendar and make a note of it now so you remember to tune in next week. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the remainder of this year. And you can check out my CDs, Imagine, from the site, which is Quartz Crystal Singing Bowl music, healing music, and my new CD, The Healing Sounds of Christmas, which is a Quartz Crystal harp, and that that instrument is actually still patent pending. It's a great album, so check that out. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. And remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a roof over my head I got a warm place to sleep So that's all I When I remember how Know that who
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.